So last week we talked about our confidence that our hope is alive and so is our future because Jesus is our living hope. We acknowledge that we all need hope. That hope is a basic, essential human need. And if we're going to flourish as humans, we need hope. And we looked at a couple of verses in 1 Peter 1, and we said that hope is what you have and faith is what you build. That hope is what you have and faith is what you build. That as a follower of Jesus, you're living in relationship with him, then you have a living hope. You don't need to manufacture hope. We have a God who loves us, who cares about us, in difficult circumstances, and we either lean towards him or we lean away from him. And if we lean towards him in the face of fear, faith is what we build. And we wrapped up by asking this question last week, is the only hope you have the hope you're building yourself? This morning, I want to talk about something that we all have uh, in common right now, and it's something that we're all experiencing, and it just goes against so much of what I've taught and talked about and dreamed for our church for over 20 years now, but it's something that we're all facing. I'm talking about isolation. We're all trying to figure out what to do in the face of isolation, because this is unprecedented uh, for us to be isolated in this way, and the truth is, uh, isolation has been used in the past and is still used, like in our prison system, as a form of punishment. Now, in our case, our isolation isn't a punishment. In this case, isolation is actually the loving thing to do. Uh, the, the loving thing for us to do is to social distance ourselves if we have to go out. Uh, we want to flatten that curve. Uh, we want to give our healthcare professionals the time they need to continue to get the equipment they need and to be as prepared as they can be for, uh, for the spread of, of COVID-19 as it continues to push through our population. In this case, isolation is actually the loving thing to do. Jesus says, love our neighbors as we love ourselves, right? And right now that means isolating ourselves. And it just goes against everything that we talk about and strive for in the life of the church. Because we want to be about community and relationships and doing life together and being with one another outside the walls of the church building. So the challenge is that isolation is difficult. It's not an easy thing to figure out how to do it well. And I think there are a number of things that are helpful when it comes to isolation. Like, hey, make sure you step outside. Get some sunshine. Get some fresh air. Go for a walk or two every day. Eat healthier than you normally do. All those things are important. But what about spiritually? What about spiritually and emotionally? How do you handle isolation? I want to talk a little bit about that uh, because I believe that God has something for us even in the midst of this weird isolation, and I want to talk about what that could look like. Isolation can create uh, a number of different emotions and experiences for all of us, and it can contribute to all, to all kinds of issues. The first one is probably boredom. <coughs> you know, like, how many times have you heard, Mom, I don't know what to do. Mom, I'm bored. Mom, I don't have anything to do. This is probably getting old to your kids, and let's be honest, it's getting old to us too, because don't you feel bored? You can feel discouragement, discouragement about the whole situation. You know, can feel like, man, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. How long is this going to go on? Isolation can create anger. We can get quite frustrated that this is happening to us. And, you know, why is this happening? And I'm frustrated with this whole thing. And I worked so hard to get on a solid footing with our finances. And now this, you know. 
So for some of us, this isolation, this forced withdrawal from people can lead to anxiety. It can lead to depression. I mean, it's lonely, right? We just feel alone and disconnected. For some of you, the reality is you're not isolated at home with your family. You're isolated at home by yourself. So what do we do in the face of isolation? One of the things that surprised me about isolation that I hadn't really thought about before is that right now our isolation is loud. Our isolation is loud. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Even though we're isolated and we're spending a lot of time at home, things are loud. Things are still loud. Cable news is loud. The Google news feed is nonstop. My Facebook feed is nonstop. I feel like I'm on Instagram more than I need to be. And it feels like in a sense that we're, there still are all these voices trying to speak to us in the midst of our isolation. People saying, you know, hey, did you hear this? And did you know that? And what about this? And there's so many articles to share and videos to share and lots of opinions on who's doing a good job handling this at various levels of government and who's doing a terrible job. And we have our opinions and we have to share them. People texting you all this stuff. In my case, I'm actually getting texts from people who with all this apocalyptic end of the world prophecy stuff and so many voices that our isolation is actually a lot louder than I ever thought it would be. The truth is that even in your isolation, voices compete for your attention. And many of these voices are online voices. The truth is, you know, the fact that we have our phones in our hands changes the experience of isolation. Because if you didn't have the internet, and you didn't have a, a smartphone, the truth is isolation would feel very different. But instead, it just continues to be loud. There continue to be all these voices and newscasts and information, like what's all this mean and how do I handle it all? It's like all this white noise. Mark Zuckerberg, who, as you know, the creator and CEO of Facebook, so he said that the, the thought process that has gone into building social media apps and platforms, of which Facebook was really the first, was primarily all about how do we consume so much of your time and conscious attention as possible? The truth is that the apps that we are on, they're designed to continually be a voice in our life. They're built to continually keep us coming back and coming back and coming back. There's, and that's a conscious choice of the developers behind you know, how they were built. And Zuckerberg says that, what he says, we as developers, we need to give sort of a dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on my thing. So there's this continued desire that's reinforced by apps to keep us coming back again and again and again, and we all know that to be true, right? You can become addicted to your Facebook feed, you can become addicted to your Instagram feed, you can allow yourself to be defined by the image you portray on social media or by the feedback and affirmation you get from social media. But it's, it, it's more than just watching, 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 scrolling, 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 uh, you know, trying to be entertained, trying to fight the boredom. It's a bombardment. So the truth is that your isolation can be full of voices and void of hope. Your isolation can end up being full of all these voices, like a sheer wall of white noise and void of hope. It's amazing how when we're listening to all these voices, eventually we start to feel discouraged. Eventually we start to feel anxious that there are so many voices that they're actually eroding hope. They're not bringing hope. So here's a question for today. How do we keep hope and build faith in the face of isolation?
we know, as we said this last week, that we have a living hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus came to redeem us from sin and to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We know that Jesus died for us to pay the penalty for our sin. We know that He rose again, that He rose from the dead as the ultimate validation of everything that He had claimed about Himself and about the Father, and that He rose from the dead to declare victory over the grave once and for all. And it's in the resurrected Jesus that we find our living hope. But how do we keep that front and center? How do we hold on to our hope and let God build uh, our faith in the face of an isolation that's so loud? The interesting thing about isolation and loneliness and being alone is Scripture actually talks a lot about it. In fact, when you look at the accounts of the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll see that over and over again he goes off to be alone. John the Baptist before him does the same thing. In the Old Testament, you see the prophets who go into the wilderness to be alone. The apostles who wrote most of the New Testament wrote all those letters. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter wrote most of them when they were isolated and sometimes even in prison. And Scripture has a lot to say about isolation and solitude. Now, there's a big difference between isolation and solitude. In the mind, the biggest difference is isolation is something that happens to us we don't necessarily choose it, whereas solitude is an intentional pulling away of finding quiet. It's actually solitude that we see Jesus practicing uh, in the Gospels. It's, it's isolation, yes, technically, because he is in fact alone, but it's solitude in that he is choosing to use that experience of being alone as a time to look inside, to quiet his mind, to calm his soul, and to reconnect with his Father. And the truth is, most, most of the isolation we're feeling and experiencing right now has kind of been forced on us by these global circumstances, right? Even though we know it's the right thing to do right now and it's actually the loving thing to do, but it feels like, I don't know, like we don't have a lot of choice in it. And even if you work in an essential service and you're going to work every day and at least during the work day, it kind of doesn't feel a lot different for you, but in the evenings and the weekends and on Sunday mornings, right, it's far from normal, so since the circumstances are what they are, I want to just encourage you to do a couple things in your isolation this week. Since we're all in this together, but not together, I want to offer you a couple things um, that I think all of us could do that might actually serve as a way to redeem these weird and unexpected and inconvenient circumstances. So uh, one of the things I want to encourage you to do in your isolation is to find solitude. I know that seems like a weird thing to say because you're like, fine, solitude. It's all I have right now is solitude. I'd like to find a conversation. I'd like to find some people to hang out with. I'd like to have a party. And it does seem counterintuitive, but there's something about solitude where there are no voices inputting. And this is the practice that allowed John the Baptist, that allowed the prophets, that allowed the apostles, that allowed Jesus in the midst of chaotic circumstances to hear from God. And it wasn't the isolation alone, see. It was in the solitude that God spoke to them. So, so what do I mean? What is solitude? came across this definition this week, and I love it. Solitude is a state in which you spend time alone with your own thoughts and free from the input from other minds. Solitude is choosing to have time where you have no input. It's just you and God, just you in silence, just you in quiet. Your phone is off, your phone isn't even in the room, it's complete silence, and some of, some of us find this really difficult, right? Some of us uh, actually find this a difficult thing to do. 
Here's the thing, though. Isolation often means you're alone, but your mind is never still. Your mind's always going. Your mind is always flipping through things, thinking about things, processing things, usually going to the worst-case scenario in your mind, right? Isolation often means you're alone, but your mind can never be still. The psalmist in Psalm uh, 46 says these familiar words. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. In your isolation, can you choose to be still enough that you could hear from God? There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings. The prophet Elijah just had a mountaintop experience and Right after that, and kind of actually as a result of that, he's ticked off the king and his lovely wife, and they're coming after him, and he's running for his life, and he goes into the wilderness, and God says, I want to speak to you in the wilderness. And there's a powerful windstorm, and it ripped down trees, and it broke rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. Then there's an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And there's a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. When all that has settled, God comes to the prophet. How? You remember? in a whisper, in a gentle whisper, in a still, small voice. And when Elijah is finally listening, God says, what are you doing here? And what I mean by that, Mr. Prophet of the one true God, what are you doing here? There are times that it's only in solitude that you can hear that. You can't hear that when you're your mind and your spirit is constantly going, 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 going. So my question is, if God spoke to you in the midst of your isolation, would your soul be quiet enough to hear him? In your life right now, are you quiet enough that God could speak to you? Because I'm confident he does want to speak to you. Reading scripture at a time like this is really important. Prayer at a time like this is really important, but so is solitude, so is silence. So here's why I want this for you. Listen, in solitude, God has the space to speak into your soul. And in times like these, we need to hear from him, don't we? We need his voice of reassurance, of peace, of purpose. We need God to speak to us in the midst of all that's going on, and that's only going to happen if we're still. So if you're going to do this, you've got to be intentional about it. If you're married and you've got kids at home, you're going to have to, first of all, God bless you, because I know this is not exactly how you do life. You're going to have to help each other with this. So you've got to give each other space where you can totally unplug. Oh, and here's a tip. This is just maybe, it's a tip. Don't post pictures of your solitude. Because <laughs> when we post pictures of our time with God, I wonder if maybe we're missing the point. Our time with God, our time alone with Him, our time in solitude isn't for anybody else to be a part of. It isn't for someone to like on Instagram or Facebook. It should be a time that is sacred, where the focus is our relationship with our Heavenly Father and participating in a practice that allows us to quiet our souls so that we could hear Him speak into our lives. I believe God wants to whisper into your soul. You choose to quiet yourself enough to hear him. The other thing about isolation, and this is kind of weird, maybe a little bit out of left field, but I think it's kind of interesting, and I definitely think it's true, that isolation feeds entitlement. That isolation feeds entitlement. What do I mean by that? Well, 
uh, as we get more and more isolated and as this thing drags on longer and longer, this so goes against human nature because I've said it a thousand times that we were created for community. We're created to be with one another. Uh, we're created to do life with one another. So is it any wonder that when we're forced to live in isolation, that the natural outgrowth of this isolation tends to be negative. So I think the longer we're isolated, uh, we start to get more selfish about our space, you know, about, we start to get more frustrated maybe about our lack of space. Have you noticed, you know, since everyone's home a lot more than they used to be, that our personal space is, is being crowded out? And I don't know, like if you have a chair, that's your chair, you know, if you do, I guarantee you, at some point in the last two weeks, for sure, at some point in the next four weeks, you're going to come into the living room or whatever room it is that you all gather in, and somebody's going to be sitting in your chair. The more isolated we become, the longer this goes on, the more entitled we start to feel, and the more angry we feel about the circumstances. So how do we fight this, uh, this need for entitlement? How do we fight that anger? You know, why is this happening? I'm stuck in my house. This is long enough. I just want to go to my favorite restaurant or to my favorite coffee shop. I just want to be able to hang out with my friends. I get all that. I get all of it. But how do we fight this sense of entitlement? The writer of Hebrews shares a couple things about how we can hold on to our hope, and I think it speaks into this situation. He says this in chapter 10, verse 23. He says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. This is what we're doing right now, right? We're, we're, we're trying to hold tightly uh, without wavering to the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, that, that we can affirm that God will keep his promise, and we're holding tightly to that. Last week we said we hold tightest to the source of our hope. The writer goes on in verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So he says one of the ways that we hold on to hope is to think, to figure out ways that we can serve other people. I think this is actually what fights the entitlement mindset, right? Wherein we put the focus on serving other people. So the question now is how do we do that? What's that look like now? Because we've got we to be creative about it. How are you going to help someone out? I've got to tell you. I'm starting to hear the stories. I'm starting to hear about the things you're doing for one another, the creative things you're doing, and the creative ways that you're communicating and that you're staying connected. I found myself in every phone conversation I've been in, I've talked on the phone a, a ton of a lot more than I usually do, because I kind of hate talking on the phone, but I found myself not wanting to end a conversation, even when the other person is you know, ready to sign off because they think they're taking too much of my time because I know I give off this air of always being in a hurry and I'm super busy and I got important things to do. Not always so. Anyway, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not letting those phone conversations end without asking, how are you doing? I mean, how are you coping with this situation? Is there anything you need? And I find people asking me the same thing and they're saying, Pastor, how can we pray for you right now? So can we all just be a little more intentional about getting our eyes off ourselves, off our own inconveniences, off our own worries and anxieties, and just turn the table and ask someone, how are you? How are you doing through all this? Is there anything you need? How can I pray for you? <clears throat> about, a, about a year and a half ago, we started using this term that we said that we want to be a church that is for people for our friends and neighbors and coworkers, for our community. So let's just be creative right now, and let's be for people. I think this is the best safeguard that I can think of, at least, to keep us from being entitled and to keep us from being selfish. Oh, how are you doing finding things to do during this isolation, by the way? 
I'm guessing you're keeping busy, especially if you have kids at home. You're probably as busy as ever in your isolation. But maybe you find yourself lacking purpose. And honestly, the busyness is only going to get you so far. So what is your purpose in this? You know, as followers of Jesus, when you boil it right down, our purpose is to be for people, to be in their corner. The people in our lives may never know that Jesus is for them until they know that we're for them. So that's our purpose. So right now, we've got to be creative about that. Let's choose service. Let's choose giving. Let's choose selflessness. Let's choose purpose over entitlement. The interesting thing is the writer of Hebrews goes on and he says, verse 25, this is a favorite verse of most preachers and most pastors. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. So, so let's not neglect our meeting together. So it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it, Pastor. We should go to church. Thanks for the guilt trip. But now this verse has a completely different meaning, right? Um, we're starting to understand why our meeting together is so important. In the meantime, in our current reality, again, we've got to be creative. We've got to be intentional. Easter's next Sunday. Easter's always been the most natural time in the calendar to invite people to come to church with us. The people that you work with, the, your family members, your kids, friends, parents, they don't think anything of it when you invite them to church on Easter. And, and every year, some of them show up at Faith Community. It's always an exciting day for us. So what do we do this year? We're we just going to miss out on this kind of natural opening to invite some people to church? I, I say no, not at all. So this week, for those of you who have given us uh, your mailing address, we're gonna, you're going to get a postcard from us in the mail explaining our plan for Easter Sunday morning. We're going to gather uh, right here online, like we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to provide some tools online on Facebook and in your email to help you spread the word and invite those same family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers that you are hoping to bring to church with you so you can invite them to join you for church online. And I admit it's not optimal. It's not the experience we were looking forward to just a few weeks ago, but it's, I think it's the best we can do right now. It's the best sense of meeting together, connecting together, that we can make happen in these circumstances. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that you see the day of his return is drawing near. I, I don't know if the return of Jesus is imminent. I don't pretend to know much about that, so I, don't, I just try not to read anything into anything. Um, but what I do know is if we want to hold tightly to our hope, then we need to encourage one another in good works and good deeds and in purpose. And So don't give up meeting together, but continue to connect and encourage one another. So I want to just encourage you to continue to look out for each other. To connect with each other, online's a great way to do that. You could even use your phone and make a phone call, you know? Because we want to continue to be connected with one another, and we want to do it in a real intentional and tangible way. The reason this is so important right now is because that connection, that reminder, that community is still possible, it really does encourage us. We need to be reminded, and we need to remind one another that we still have hope. And it's one thing to have hope, it's another thing to share hope to share encouragement, and that's so important right now. There's power in connecting together, regardless of what that looks like. So in your isolation, don't be disconnected. There's no need for any of us to be disconnected. We have more tools at our disposal than ever before to make sure we're connected, even if the only connection you have is an old-fashioned phone. And if you don't know who to connect with, message us on Facebook. Send me an email. Uh, go to the tab at the top of, of, the, of the page that you're on right now. It says connection card and fill out that form. We want to connect with you. We want to be connected with one another. We want to encourage you. And then in the midst of our isolation, let's find solitude, which seems like 
counterintuitive and it seems like the opposite end of the spectrum from connection, but both of these need to be a part of our lives if we're going to be, uh, find emotional and spiritual health, if we're going to flourish in less than ideal circumstances. And then remember your purpose of being for people. We've got to be creative about that. So let's not be so focused on ourselves. Let's not get so insulated that we forget about the people around us who need hope in the midst of darkness, who need to know the hope of God in the midst of their own darkness. For us, there are people all around us right in our own community who need us to be in their corner. We need to be creative about that right now, but we're going to continue to have opportunities, and we want to be, a, be kind of tuned into that, and we want to continue to be for them, to serve them, to connect with them, to connect them to their Heavenly Father, because we have an incredible hope, a hope that's meant to be shared, and a hope that's contagious. So let's not isolate ourselves into a place of entitlement. Let's not isolate ourselves into a place of just white noise and negativity. And let's not isolate ourselves into a lack of connection. So remember solitude. Be intentional about solitude, about being in a place where you can hear from God. Remember community and connecting with others. Remember the purpose of being for the people in your lives and in our community. And as we do these things, Hebrews says, we're going to hold tightly to our hope. And I want you to hold on to the hope that lives. Hold on to the God who's been faithful in the past and will be faithful in the future. Hold on to that hope. Encourage one another to hold on to the hope we find in Jesus. Encourage people who don't know him to hold on to him by just being involved in their lives. In the midst of this isolation, I think it's possible that the church could be more powerful and more effective than ever. We're not just faith community when we gather. We're faith community when we go. And when you look at history and you look at how the church has grown, the church of Jesus has always grown and thrived in times of great trial, in persecution, in plagues, in oppression, in tragedy. So just because physical isolation is a loving thing to do, 100%, it doesn't mean we can't connect. It doesn't mean that we can't reach out. It doesn't mean that we can't support one another. It doesn't mean we can't be and become known as people of hope in our circles. So let's hold on to the hope that lives Let's share it with the world around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now we just uh, lift up our healthcare workers. We lift up grocery store employees. We lift up school teachers. All those frontline employees. God, I pray that we wouldn't be complacent and entitled and that even behind the scenes in our homes, that we would reach out to people, that we would care for people, that we would be for people, that people would know us as people that they can count on, who are in their corner. Not so that they'll sing our praises, but so that we can point them to the God who's for us, the God who is the source of our hope. Speak to us in our solitude. Show us when we're feeling entitled. Use us in service to others. God, through this experience, may our families and friends and coworkers and neighbors be drawn to you. May lives be changed and transformed, all for your glory. God, thank you for our church, for the people of faith community. Thank you for the ability, the gift of gathering online in this way. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, God is with you. God is for you. We're for you. And we're praying for you. Have a great week.